Welcome to the Relief Teachers Podcast, brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally, and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals, Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this webinar, we talked about the challenges that you face as a new grad. To kick the webinar off, I asked Billy Green about his experience as a new grad. I mean, it's actually almost 40 years to the day, Ian, that I started. So I started in 81 at uh, Altona Gate um, Primary School. And I don't know if this inspires uh, or comforts any graduates at all. When I started teaching, I would have to say I had absolutely no idea what I was doing at all. So uh, if that makes you feel any better, that's good. So I did learn a few tricks along the way. But yeah, I think starting, and this is one of the things I'd like to talk about today, the gap between what you know, uh, coming out of uni and your rounds and what actual what schools actually do is uh, it's a pretty big gulf. So um, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, you make some great points there, Billy. I actually started teaching before you, and I reckon I knew less than you. And one of the first things that I did learn was that I knew nothing and that my learning started probably on the first day that I started teaching, I think. And there weren't the supports available in those days. There was no real documentation. Um, There was obviously no VIT, but I don't think I read a policy. I don't think I read anything about expectations. I knew a little bit about the curriculum areas that I was teaching in, but I think one of the things that stood you and I in good stead over the journey is we probably did have to um, uh, learn it all by ourselves. And you, you get very, very good at thinking on your feet and also observing and uh, learning from others, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, looking back, um, and uh, you know, the last thing that Terry and I and Ian want to do for you today is turn it into a fireside chat where we're talking about our experiences, but um, I, I think some of the real core aspects of what makes good teaching, and that's clearly good relationships with the kids and a preparedness to sort of work at, uh, you know, preparing good lessons and, and working towards, you know, uh, achievable outcomes for kids. I mean, I, I guess those are the things that helped me survive initially, because there's a lot of stuff that you're just simply not aware of, um, just how to manage your time, particularly uh, how to manage resources. Uh, how to manage just behaviour of kids is quite challenging. But I think if you, um, and we've got a few strategies that we can put you through. And as, and, and as Terry said, there was very little support back in those days. Schools operated much more in a sort of silo fashion. If you were lucky, you had someone next door to you who was a little bit helpful and said hello. But quite often, people just ran their own show in schools in those days. And they were quite often out of the, out of the building, Terry, by four in the afternoon. So there's no yeah. one to ask questions of anyway yeah that, that's true it was it was a completely different era different expectations Billy I started teaching in the country um, in the 70s and one of the the key things I learned was all about community I think and, and also perhaps the difference between schooling and education and um, you know I was working in I was working nearly five hours out of Melbourne and you know I was working with families up there who'd never been to Albury um Wodonga, never been to Albury, Wodonga, let alone been to Melbourne. So it put what I was doing in a completely uh, different context because you tend to think, you know, you come out, you're young, you're enthusiastic, you tend to think that's the only thing in the world is what you're delivering. But I, I think it, you know, gave me a completely different perspective. And also, I think I learned a bit about the value of community, which then I was able to bring back to Melbourne when yeah. I came back here. I, I think that that's a really crucial point that you make there is. Uh, on a number of factors. Mine was uh, in a um, high migrant uh, population school. So I, um, I'd grown up in the country, attended uni and most of my teaching rounds, the last teaching round, which was an eight week round was at a um, full Aussie school, if you like, country kids. Um, I can't remember how many, there might've been 60 odd of them there. I went to Melbourne, that, that was completely different after that. But I think what's really important is that, um, and I think Terry hit a, hit on it there and you got you come out of university quite understandably and you come out of your perhaps last lot of teaching rounds with an idea of what schooling is and then there's a high likelihood that you're going to go into school particularly if you're a CRT uh, and find that it's not what you thought it was and that's 
okay. That's not a problem there as long. And I think that's where you've got to get your head around to learn really quickly that what your preconception of what schooling and education and schools are may not necessarily match up when you actually get out to a school. That's totally fine. But I think you just need to go in with that open uh, attitude and not be too um, nailed down on, uh, you know, for example, how you're going to teach maths if you're a secondary teacher or what you believe in in science or the importance of uh, collaborative learning in a school in primary school. If you go in absolutely with those um, unshakable principles, then I think you're going to find your first few weeks and months pretty challenging. You've got to be pretty open, Terry, don't you? Oh, look, yeah, absolutely, Billy. And I, I think um, it's, a, it's a journey. And the, the journey for me started, yeah, the first day that I set foot um, in a school, I think, as a teacher. And one of the things that I realised was uh, how important other teachers were. Like if there are people around, and there will be, there are people in every school that are terrific practitioners uh, that you can observe. And these days you can work even more closely with them. You might be able to get in their classes and observe. You'd be able to do some collaborative planning and that sort of thing with them. But I, I just like to, um, you know, reflect on the way that other people operate, how they handle challenging situations. Um, you can just learn so much, can't you? No, oh, absolutely. And these days, you know, you've got the advantage of that if you are working in a school, um, you'll have a, a mentor and uh, they'll help you through. And as, there's far better structures now uh, for assisting uh, graduates. But if you are working as a CRT, and many of our uh, people who'll be listening this morning will be working as CRTs, it will be quite challenging. There's no doubt about that. And I think what you've probably got to, where you need to start um, is to think about how you're going to manage that and what your attitude is. I think that that's really important from the start. One of the things that I would suggest, Ian, um, we've, quite often we talked about people jumping on the ATSL website, but I'd also look at the Vic um, Ed website or things around assessment and high impact teaching strategies. Even if you're going to work in, a, in um, private schools, things around assessment, high impact teaching strategies, child safe, uh, VCAA, the curriculum thing. Just have a look at all of those documents. And I think, when you look at that and you just realise just how much stuff there is there and just say, how much of this do I actually really know? And quite a lot of the times there'll be lots of gaps. Don't be put off by that. That's completely normal and natural. But they're all the sorts of things that you're going to have to manage. The other one, which I'll bring up this morning, we, we won't, I won't talk about necessarily now, but one of the things that I think young teachers uh, struggle with is one around what's expected in terms of teamwork, because all schools these days are very team-based. And the other one, Terry, which is massive in the primary school, not perhaps as much in secondary, is managing parents. Yeah, look, uh, and, and they're just so new. Um, you, you don't do anything of those, you know, in education when, when you're doing your tertiary course, Billy. Um, and, you know, again there, I think um, we, we learn from watching other people and we learn from our own mistakes and we, we learn from, um, you know, I think reflecting on, on, on what happens. But I, I think, yeah, you're right. Um, secondary teachers, we're a little bit lucky in that we're once removed other than parent teacher and that sort of thing. When kids go to secondary school, they like to leave their parents at the gate. But when you're work, walking into a primary school, they're basically there in the classroom with you from day one, aren't they? They are. And one of the tricks that you really need to use, and I'd be really interested to get your feedback on this, Ian, uh, having not started 40 years ago, but one of the tricks, whether you are a CRT graduate, young teacher CRT, but even any CRT really, um, is picking up those two points around other teachers, other um, staff and teamwork, but particularly around parents. How are you going to manage that situation? Because quite often um, what teaching is is a... Uh, is a logistic exercise in sort of, uh, you're constantly time poor. There's more tasks to do in teaching, and this is the other thing you'll learn, more tasks to do in teaching than there is hours in the day. You could effectively spend 20 hours a day at a school, no problems, and still not be totally across every single thing you need to do. You can't spend 20 hours there, and you probably don't even want to spend more than 10 hours there. Uh, and therefore, you don't have um, 20 minutes in every single morning to have a chat to the parent who uh, wants to rock up and take your time. So how are you going to manage that? And that's quite a tricky thing. You, you can't be rude. Um, more than likely that parent's got a kid in your grade. Um, so how are you going to manage that? What's your attitude? How, where are you going to go to to get help? 
how can you and, and and even at the end of the day you you don't want to be standing around till four o'clock just chatting i mean it's a nice to build relationships but you're time poor and you've got lots of things to do particularly when you're a graduate and have you got any reflections on that yeah, I think there's been a few really important points here. I think when uh, I qualified to teach, I realized I was qualified, but I wasn't yet a teacher. Um, I couldn't yet be affected. Same when I um, got my driving license, I, I felt like, okay, I'm qualified to drive, I'm allowed to drive, but can I really drive? Um, and of course, you only learn when you're out by yourself learning on the job and you've got the realistic uh, circumstances to operate in. Um, certainly with parents, I think as a new grad, I think one of the critical things to do with many aspects of your role as a teacher is all around boundaries. Um, you know, and that's behavior management, boundaries with students, boundaries with other staff members, um, boundaries with how long you're going to work, uh, like you mentioned, because you can be completely consumed by the role of teaching if you're not careful, which is completely unsustainable. So you have to draw these lines in the sand and say, look, when it gets to 5.30, I've got to be out of here. Um, I'm not staying up till you know 10 o'clock at night marking books. Um, I'm not spending my whole weekend planning for lessons. You, you really have to manage yourself. Um, and with parents, particularly, particularly in primary, um, certainly I know from teaching prep uh, for a couple of years that you do get that parental um, you know support we'll call it uh we sometimes um you know goes over into much more demanding parents so you really do have to set out and think how am i going to manage this you also have to remember that you're a, a trained professional and you know if you're a solicitor or if you're uh working in a, a as an accountant well you you don't just have people roll in your door and start speaking to you about their, you know, accounts or about their situation. So why would you accept that as a teacher? You know, uh, parents should make an appointment with you uh, unless it's a quick, you know, two minute chat about a bit of information. But set the boundaries, you know, don't reply to emails at 930 at night, uh, because then that sets a precedent about, you know, your availability. Uh, you certainly should keep to office hours with those types of things as well. Um, so I think you need to give a lot of thought before you start your teaching role about all of those boundaries and those parts of the job, which perhaps they never talk about at university. Perhaps they never um, talk about even when you're on your placements. Um, but these are things that are really going to affect how you do your role effectively. Absolutely. And I think it gets back to what Terry's point is. Uh, you've got to learn on the job. And to learn well, we understand that you need to reflect. So you will make mistakes every now and then with parents. Um, I can think of some of the terrible mistakes I made early. And I won't share them with you. I can even I can even think of the names of the kids, not all of them, but some of the mistakes I made back in the earliest days because those things stay with you forever because, uh, one, they're, they're things that you could have handled better and you feel like you've let someone down. But the good thing is you learn from those mistakes. Right? So you learn, but you won't ever learn if you don't reflect on your performance. And as Ian said, if you don't start to think, all right, how am I going to manage this within a certain boundary? What am I prepared to accept that's going to actually mean that I'm a better teacher to produce better outcomes for the kids? Because you can't have uh, a post-school party every night with five or six different parents. And you similarly can't do the same with staff members. I know, Terry, you would have come up against the odd staff member. You might have been the one, actually, who used to stroll into your room and wanted to have a chat till 4.30. Nice idea, um, but you can't afford to do that every day, can you? No, exactly. Look, it's a, it can be a 24-7 job when you start. Um, and the, there's no doubt that that initial apprenticeship, even for someone walking into a full-time job at the beginning, Bill, is probably really three years. As a principal, I used to look at graduate teachers at least as a three-year investment before you can really expect to get a return. And I think you've got to give people the time and the opportunity to learn. But one of the first things I think we share with them is that within reason, uh, the more time that you spend on that job, particularly when you're tired already, the less effective you'll be the next day. And with teaching, uh, when you cross the line in the morning and they bounce that ball, uh, to use a terrible analogy, um, yeah, look, all, all bets are off and you need to be fresh because anything can happen and anything will happen. 
uh, and the fresher you are, the better equipped you'll be to deal with it. But if you've been spending far too much time overnight uh, in terms of preparation or sp spending far too much time at the end of the day engaged in those conversations that you mentioned, then it, um, in, in the end you'll become less effective. So I think, Billy, what we develop with experience over time is a little bit more confidence in terms of imposing our agenda. Oh, absolutely. And I think that even applies into CRT, uh, particularly, well, all CRTs, but certainly graduate CRTs. It's a very demanding job. I mean, I've had the luxury of, uh, I worked all most of my career, obviously, in teaching, but I've had the luxury post that to work in other fields. And as hard as I've ever worked in any of those fields, it does not come up anywhere near a tough week in teaching. Not even, if I piled every job I've ever done over the last five years, into one week, it still wouldn't be as hard as a tough week in teaching. Teaching is ex exacting and exhausting. And as a CRT, particularly, it's even, it can be even more difficult, even though you're not there at those meetings and whatever, just the, the, the difficulty of going into a new school or a number of different schools each week, each day, um, you, you know, you front up to, uh, and you don't know anyone, you don't, that's ex enormously stressful. So if you are a CRT, or particularly if you're a graduate CRT, one of the boundaries you might pop in is, I'm only going to accept four days teaching a week. I, I, I because you don't want to burn yourself out, uh, and you don't. And Terry, you would probably agree with this. The likelihood of having a bad day, in other words, having a run in with a student or a parent or a um, or another staff member, increases the more exhausted and and, uh, and tired and frustrated you become. Oh, look, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and and I think you've um, you've got to get a good read on what what works for you, Billy. And it may well be if you're beginning as a graduate working as a CRT, then four days a week will be the absolute sort of maximum, particularly if you're going to a range of schools. Um, not quite so demanding if you're working mainly in the one school, but if you're going to a range of schools over that time, then um, I know we all need the money, but um, it may well be that four days would be the absolute max that I would do. But I think relief teaching, uh, Terry, you hit on a point. It can be very stressful. Uh, but also, I did relief teaching when I graduated. I didn't get a permanent job. You know, it was way, way better than what I'd learned at university. I learned so much in three months and I ended up getting a job through it. It's crucial, isn't it, Billy, to not only pace yourself, but also grasp the nettle and enjoy that opportunity as well. Oh, absolutely. And it gets back to, again, what you're saying around boundaries. And I'd take that a step further in, uh, in, in, in the sense of priorities. So you need to start to think whether you've got a full-time job uh, and you're starting, well, now more or less, or you're going to work as a CRT. And this applies to graduate. What is the learning that you're picking up each day that you go in there? and you need to start to build that into some sort of routines. So for example, if I was a graduate teacher and I hope as a, if I was the principal of a graduate teacher, the things that you'd be focusing on there is just getting them to focus largely on the kids, the curriculum, building relationships and uh, improving their teaching methods. So they would be the priorities that you would set for your young graduates. And you would be trying to circumvent all the other problems like overly long meetings, uh, over, like for example, in our, the school that we had, we had uh, yard duty for graduates was minimal. They might've had one recess a week or something like that. So we try to keep those things down to a minimum and you'll be trying to manage how, you, how they interact with parents. If you're running your own show, in other words, if you're a CRT and you don't have school structures to help you out there, you still need to put those sorts of routines in. So it might be, I'm only going to work four days a week. I'm only going to work in this way. I'm not going to drive an hour to and from school. And each time I come home or at the end of each week, what have I learned from that? How am I, uh, what, what have I learned around curriculum? What have I learned about delivery? What I've learned about um, classroom management? And one thing I can guarantee you'll learn if you walk in at nine o'clock with the kids, you're going to have a bad day. So it, it, you've got to start because good teachers in the end repeatedly do the right things well. Um, you know, that again, Terry, it sounds like a bounce the ball analogy, but that, that's what good sportsmen do. That's what good um uh, people, whatever job you do, you do the right thing well often. And you've got to set those routines up. Now, if schools help you set them up, you're working there, that's great. But if they're not there to help you out, 
you need to set in place your own routines and how are you going to continually get better and make the job more enjoyable for you and better outcomes for the kids. Yeah, and look, I think, Billy, the, the most challenging person that we actually manage is ourselves. And I think you make some really um, good points there. And and it's point two, I think, about there are some advantages about doing some CRT work before you pick up a job because it doesn't enable you to try before you buy and you can learn an enormous amount uh, and then when you go somewhere and you pick up a job, you don't take any of that baggage with you. Um, one of the things I think that you can learn ab above all others is the sort of schools that you may well be a good fit for. And um, like back in the days when I started teaching, I didn't know whether I was a good fit for the school or not. I was just placed there. I was lucky enough to be on a studentship at that time and you're placed at a school, but um, you know, I just had to, I had to go with it. But I think, um, if you do CRT work, at, you might do CRT work at a, a dozen schools over a period of time. And um, I, th I think you, you get a sense of uh, where you would work really well, the sort of school community that you feel that um, you can make a contribution to, fit in well with the staff, build relationships with the kids. That's a big advantage before you actually have to pick up a full-time job, I reckon. Yeah, it is. And again, it gets back to whether you, you've got to actually make that a, a, an opportunity to learn. So for example, you might find that you actually love the team environment and the sort of, um, I guess, just the openness of an open classroom, okay? You may find that that environment absolutely uh, fits your style, that you work really well in that environment. You actually thrive and you can see the worth of it. Other people, quite understandably, may not like that environment. And one of the great advantages of working as a CRT, and that's just an example, you get to see a whole range of um, strategies and uh, ways that people run schools, and you've, you can start to think, all right, this is going to work for me or that's not going to work for me. Some schools, for example, have really highly structured behaviour management um, uh, programs in place and they are quite successful, obviously. And you might think, yep, this absolutely suits me. I love that sort of lockstep way of managing kids' behaviour. Other people might not like it to do it that way. And you get to have experienced a lot of these things along the way. But you've got to learn from them. You've got to think, right, What, where does, where do I sit in terms of this? Am I prepared to take that on or is it just not going to be the way I like to, to work? So there are some real big advantages about moving around and learning at the start. That uh, So, you know, whether you're picking up a job or not, the CRT, uh, or you're working as a CRT, there's plenty of opportunities to learn a lot in the first little bit of your, your career. Yeah, certainly in my experience, I learned so much in that time. I remember just trying to concentrate on the first two or three minutes I was in the classroom and forget about everything else because, and just try to appear credible in that first two or three minutes to the, to the new group of students because we know that as a relief teacher anyway, students get anxious. They might try and push the boundaries. And then as a new grad, you've really got to be on top of that. Um, Aaron's asked the question, which we'll get around to a little later in the webinar, but um, just around behavior management. Um, but in, in my experience, I worked at a whole variety of schools and I ended up getting a job not at one of the schools that I'd worked in, but the agency I work for in the UK, they put me forward for a job at a school I'd never worked in. I ended up getting that job. Uh, so it goes to show that, you know, if you are able to go in, get a good variety of work, working in pre some very tough environments as well, but you know the advantage of relief teaching as sebastian said in the chat here is is you know the freedom uh he's, he said he's never worked five days a week yet because he enjoys that flexibility of um crt which is really thanks for sharing that personal experience sebastian um and anna as well has said you know as a as a permanent member you might uh your your senior leadership might be kind to you as a new grad as a relief teacher maybe not as kind in terms of yard duties you might get two two in a day and yeah you you also probably get loaded with uh extra periods and things like that but um certainly it's it's well worth seeing the different functionality of the school as uma as well has mentioned that some some schools have a school of bus duty before or after school as well so schools operate in so many different ways and and as a new grad you you just haven't experienced all those different functions so relief teaching is such a good way to experience it and the other thing i think that people need to do particularly graduates but this applies to crts we talk about routines and what does that actually mean and what you really should be doing i think is starting to come up with your own checklist or your own list of things that so 
Terry, less so perhaps in the secondary school, but in a primary school, you you would need to take some resources along. And that might, you know, particularly I would say around at least one decent book that if things go awry, you've got something there that'll keep the kids going that you could plan even a whole day out of one particular book. And you need in primary school, some sort of appropriate games that you're going to use. And I'd probably imagine that even though uh, most work these days is done um, uh, digitally, you would still need, I, I would definitely be taking a whiteboard marker and some whiteboard, you know, erasers and things because if you walk into, you know, the odd secondary school and you want to even write your name on the board, some places there's nothing in there. So there's just those really basic, simple things, even things around, so what do you do when you arrive at a school? I mean, that can be all, uh, that can be all, that can be so, so time consuming if you're not sure where the office is or to fiddle around, you've got to sign in, particularly with COVID protocols. And so they be, you, you could get to a school at, at 8.30 ready for a nine o'clock start. But if you waste the first half hour, you are actually walking in with the kids at nine o'clock and that makes it difficult. So you need to get your routines down, if, I, I, I'd imagine, anyway, Terry. Yeah, oh, look, Billy, I think we used to call it a survival kit, but you, you certainly need your own survival kit because when you go into a range of schools, um, you never quite know what you're going to get when you arrive. And I think the points that Ian's made about focusing on what you do at the beginning of any particular lesson, I think is absolutely critical because if you can get the first five or eight minutes right, if you can begin uh, really, really well, make a good impression, um, outline your expectations, that sort of thing, then sometimes the rest will take care of itself. And also it gives you an opportunity you become much better at thinking on your feet as you go along to then plan the rest of the class because sometimes you can be in an unexpected situation where you're picking up a class without much notice at all. Um, there's an absence that, you know, was not known. And also in secondary, the other thing that can throw you out, out of your comfort zone very quickly is you might be asked to manage a class or teach a class that's really technically not within your method area. And um, I think when you're operating as a CRT, particularly in the, in the um, area of a graduate CRT, that, that can be quite challenging and confronting for the first time. Yeah. I think one of the, we, uh, when we deliver this face-to-face -face, uh, for graduates starting off, one of the things that we joke about um, in a sense, Ian, is the six-step lesson plan. And I'm sure a lot of people think, that you know objectives and whatever content you know no that's the six steps uh, as just prior to you opening the door and you really do have to have sometimes something up your sleeve that's going to work I, I haven't seen the question directly but I'll, I'll address it um, around behavior and classroom management and it really does get back to that if you are sitting at your desk with your head down pouring over what the teachers told you to do and the kids are already filing in and, and they've basically occupied the space if you like um, if that's how they come into the room, you've lost it. You are not, you, you'll be a superhuman to retrieve that situation. However, if you're organized enough, attitudinally in the right space, you know that you've got some strategies and I would definitely look at high impact teaching strategies and think, right, which of these are going to work for me as a CRT or even as a graduate? How am I, where am I confident to, how am I confident? What's my best tricks, if you like? And then if you meet the kids at the door with a greeting and you establish how they're going to move into the classroom and set themselves down, that is by far your first job and task, a bit like, as Ian said, your first two or three minutes. If you allow the kids to come in and just take over those first two or three minutes, you whether they're preps or year nines, you've got a, a battle on your hands. Yeah, look, yeah. Billy, as we've said before, I think you only get one chance to make a first impression. And if it's not a good one, then you're up against it, I think, for the rest of the time. One of the other things I think we've all learned is that when you've, we've taken classes of kids or cohorts for the first time ever, it's always good to uh, ask um, beforehand, is there anything that it's sort of worth knowing about this cohort? Are there any students that have got additional needs or require supports? It's good to know that beforehand. Uh, and also, um, are there any kids in that class that are likely to be tricky, for want of a better word, in terms of management? Uh, because they're, they're kids that you might, in your own mind, um, you know, look at building a strong relationship with as soon as you possibly can. Kids that you can identify outside the room um, you know, say hi to 
um, look at establishing some sort of relationship that'll flow on into the class. I think that's critical. Yeah. And again, and this gets back to preparation for graduates particularly, but, you know, a lot of the, um, if there's some, don't take this um, negatively, if there's some old hand CRTs watching today, they'll know these things. But you've also got to know who to ask, Terry, don't you? Yeah. Like for example, if you go into a primary classroom, yeah. I'd imagine it's the same in a secondary classroom, and you've got a child there who's um, autism spectrum disorder and they ha may have an aid, the very first question I'd be asking them about how is that managed, what are the triggers, how is that curriculum organised? So that's the person to go to then. If you're working in an open plan classroom, you would definitely go to your colleagues. If you're working next door to someone, I would chat to them about some things. If you turn up at a high school, definitely the first person you would ask about is the daily organiser. If you get escorted over to the classroom by the assistant principal in a primary school, not out of the school, by, uh, by the way, to, <laughs> but if you get escorted over to the classroom, um, ask them about the grade. You know, what, what, what are they like? Are there any issues? How's your behaviour management plan? What would you like me to do there? So you've got to not only have the questions, but you've got to know the right person to ask. Because if you ask the wrong person, you, well, quite often either get no answer or the wrong answer. So who are the critical ones in a secondary school, Terry? Yeah, I think, um, look, uh, initial point of contact, the, the daily organiser, um, the, the assistant principal, um, particularly the one that might look, you know, have an oversight of behaviour management. I think that's critical. And if you're going to work um, continually in a secondary school, it's just great to, to know who the level coordinators are, the people with responsibility for each of the levels. And if you're there for any length of time, also um, student wellbeing person who is often full-time, if not full-time, they wouldn't have more than one class. So I think, you know, they're, they're your keys. If you're working in your own subject area, predominantly Billy, then the key there would be the curriculum manager. So if you're a maths teacher, um, you know, be, be great to meet that person because they will know where all the resources and that sort of thing are located that, you know, in an emergency situation, you can sort of, you know, latch onto um, if there's nothing that's been left. Yeah. Look, just one simple uh, behaviour management one that comes up more so, I guess, in primaries and secondaries, though, Ian, and this is another little trick for graduates. Uh, occasionally, you'll be in the class. Now, obviously, don't ask any major curriculum behaviour policy questions to kids. I mean, you're simply asking for trouble there. But you may want to know something around resources or the lunch orders or something like that. Um, if you're going to do that, don't ask the whole class. Because I can guarantee if you've got 26 kids in the room, you'll get 26 different answers. And then you'll get the shouting match. Oh, no, they don't. That doesn't go there. Yes, it does. And then, again, you've lost control. It's not that difficult uh, to work out within a few minutes which of the kids are on top of the stuff and which you – and just quietly go and ask one person or just a, two, two of them, well, where does your teacher keep these books or where, you know, who takes the lunch orders over? Where's your roster for the day? Don't ask the whole class because you'll – Everyone wants to go to the office or they go to the lunches. So it's a disaster. And then you've lost control. But just you think, how am I going to manage this situation? This is always, I guess, the, the premise, if you like. How am I going to manage this situation to get the best outcome possible? And asking 26 grade twos where, the, um, you, know, where you put the pencils, that's not a good idea. Ask one. I think it comes back to that point about um, being credible when you walk into the room that, that you particularly as a new grad I remember kind of walking into classrooms thinking I must look like a teacher you know I I must be able to walk the walk and, and then talk the talk and you know even down to what clothes you wear how you present yourself if you're carrying loads of bags or you you know <laughs> or you're carrying something unusual like a lunchbox or something like that which just under, undermines your credibility as a teacher I think in front of the students I think that's uh, can't be you know understated that you have to read or overstated that you have to look credible as a teacher uh, and those type of things like asking where things are or how things normally run in front of a whole class that undermines your credibility so you do that quietly but also throw in the relationship building thing of saying you're working so well you're doing a great job I'm really impressed with you oh by the way uh, do you know where the glue sticks are uh, you know so that you 
can kind of uh, sugarcoat it as well and and use that opportunity as a as a relationship builder we've i'm so pleased that we've got so many people attending the webinar today and also sharing their own experiences i'll um just run through a couple of them that have come through on the chat um, and then we'll get around to a couple of the questions just as we uh, get to the close of this webinar you know some really good comments just around um sebastian said about it always bringing his own whiteboard markers that that's a really important thing isn't it just to be able to be in control of that sometimes you go into a classroom and there's a lot of whiteboard markers in which in which case use those but otherwise have your own um backup for those uh simple things anna's as well get get to school as early as possible observe what other people are doing i think that's really important so you get a feel for the school the expectations just by observing what are the other teachers are doing how they're lining up the class before they come in what the expectations are yeah also bringing in your own books and games and things like that can definitely work and also following the protocols around compass and expectations for schools and the lots of online resources there as well thank you for sharing those as well we've got a question from aaron uh who's a new graduate who's going to be start crt this year um just around how uh did we find behavior management in the early uh, days of our teaching careers I'll just comment very quickly on my experience that I think one of the really critical things for me and my experience was that I'd had a lot of experience outside of the classroom working with young people and children so I think that really gave me an advantage because I was able to focus on relationship building with young people without having to drive curriculum. So um, that really was a benefit because once I was in the classroom, in the school, I knew how to build relationships with, with students and then that allowed me to then build on the curriculum. So I, I definitely would recommend, uh, you know, after school care and things like that as a new grad or summer camps and um, vacation camps and things like that are really useful to build your skill set. Uh, Terry, as a secondary teacher, can you remember that uh, behaviour management? <laughs> yeah, look, it's never been it's never been easy. People shouldn't think it was <laughs> it was easy going back because it, it wasn't, and we all faced these challenges. I felt teaching in a country school for the first time. In the end, the thing that helped me and made a big difference was what I was prepared to do with those students outside the classroom. Just like what you've alluded to, was I prepared to go on camps? take other activities. Um, I was young enough to be playing sport in those days. So it was really all the things that I was doing with the kids outside the classroom. I think they laid a bit of a base in terms of making it possible to actually, you know, to build a relationship. And it compensated for some of those things that I was yet to learn in, in terms of um, you know, ma managing kids. Because managing kids, I think, you know, it's a skill, you're on a journey. I think from a first year out teacher, um, you know, in the end, I'd been a principal for about 18 years. So you were still on that continuum. You're, it's all a journey. It's all an opportunity uh, to learn. But I think initially, um, when you're still picking up that sort of skill set at the beginning, um, your willingness to be involved with the kids outside the classroom um, is critical in terms of um, laying the foundation for building relationships. Yeah, I, I would fully agree. I think you've got to look at it in a couple of ways. First of all, I think teachers tend to be very task orientated um, that we, you know, you've got to write 26 reports and it's great when you put the final full stop on the last one and the job is done. Behaviour management, the job is never done. It's continually um, about building relationships, particularly with those kids who are always going to have those issues. The other thing I think you have to do and you have to concede around behaviour management is that sometimes some of the behaviour management issues that you come up against are your fault. And by that, by that I don't mean... Um, or what I do mean is that you may have set up structures in the classroom that have contributed to uh, your average normal decent kid who's most of the time going to be good anyway, who goes a little off the rails because you've put the, the wrong things in place. So you haven't insisted, for example, on whether it's hands up or whatever it is, you've allowed this free for all calling out and then you get sick of it one day and you tell them, tell them off and then they're calling. And you think, well, hang on, you caused that. You, you've got to put in place... A great principle, I've, I've had some great principles over the time, but one uh, I remember told me right from the very start, start as you want it to finish. So in other words, if you're happy with having every kid in the class call names out or call answers out at you 26 at a time, 
well, who would be? But if you're happy with that, well, that's fine. But if you're not happy with that, don't allow it to happen from the very first day. So in other words, you've caused that problem. As I said, the other problem is you've got kids who be not necessarily through any fault of their own. They come from backgrounds that have been difficult. They're just a predisposition to those sorts of things. With those, don't look at them like something that they've got to be fixed or renovated. Build a relationship and understand that, yep, at different times, this is going to get really tricky and uh, difficult, but I'm just going to have to work at it. Almost any really difficult, I'll give you an example, and Terry, I'm sure you confirm this. If a daily organiser points out a, uh, and says that Ian, in your year nine class is a bit of a problem, right? You can guarantee, Terry, that that's not Ian's first day of being naughty, is it? No, absolutely <laughs> been like that. Yeah. It's an ongoing, don't go in with the idea you're going to fix it because it's not. You've got to build a relationship, get to know the kid. That same principle told me if you don't like the kid, you haven't got to know them well enough yet. There's always something to like about them. You've got to work with them, right, rather than just getting constantly frustrated. Yeah, look, you make a good point. I think um, one of the things we've learned over the journey is kids probably don't learn anything from people that they don't like, Billy. No. Therefore, that, you know, you might be, in theory, you might be a terrific teacher, but if the kids don't like you, they won't learn anything. So just be aware of that. It doesn't mean you're there to be their friend. No. But, but you, um, you're in you're in the relationship game. And I think what I've learned, if I have my time again, I think with kids that are very challenging, um, I would have tried to probably to reinforce the positives a lot earlier to try and catch those kids being good. Yeah. Um, sometimes you've got to be very good to catch them because it doesn't happen very often. But when you, if you can catch them doing something that's, um, you know, uh, a bit of a plus then and you make a big thing of that uh, with them, then uh, I think um, that, you know, that, that can sort of do wonders in, in terms of the dynamics of that classroom. That point up, Ian, too, from what Terry said, that time over again, um, I think that's a great thing for all of us because we would all do things, even if you only worked two days in your life, there are things in that two days that you, that's teaching, that's the thing. And I, but I would be the same. I think one of the things you've got to do with really difficult situations around management is try to um, take your emotions out of it, okay? They're not your children and even if they were that your emotional response might not be appropriate you are there as a teacher as a professional uh, effectively to nurture them and to give them the best opportunity to grow and learn that's that's your task it's not made any easier by you becoming frustrated with them they don't there's very few kids that really set out to be absolutely evil they don't that's just not it's just that they struggle with the the the, the whole setup you know, whether it's at home or whether it's at school, the other kids. I, I think most kids, that, I would say this, in, Terry, most kids that we've met over the period that are difficult, if they had their choice, they wouldn't want to be difficult, would they? Absolutely not. You know, that, that that's right. Um, there's the whole five years before they go to school, Billy, which is, you know, probably the most important five years in their life. And then every everything that happens sort of, you know, from, from then on. Um, the other thing I've learned is don't, um, spend too much time beating yourself up after oh. a class or a day that hasn't gone well. Because yeah. um, reflect, um, by all means, think about how you could handle it, you know, better the next time, but then draw a line in the sand and move on. Every day is a new day. Don't take that baggage in into the following day um, with you because it can be counterproductive. And I was just going to say one of the things that I really uh, found vital, particularly relief teaching as a new grad and throughout my teaching career, was let the children know that you like them. Let them know that you want to be there, that you enjoy being there, you enjoy teaching. If, you, if it looks like the opposite, and we can often give that impression when, you know, we're getting angry or upset or frustrated, um, that's saying to the children, that you don't want to be there, um, I don't like you, I don't like this, and all of a sudden you're never going to win out of that situation, nobody's going to win, and, and vitally nobody's going to learn anything. Um, Sue's just come up with a couple of good uh, observations as well, uh, you know, as a CRT and her experience, you know, how stressful situations when you're teaching outside of your realm of experience or your expertise, which we um, talked about a little before, um, but I, again, I think as a relief teacher, as particularly as a new grad, such a great opportunity. I remember being put in front of a year nine class as a primary trained teacher and being terrified and taking a big gulp of air before I went into that year nine all boys class. Um, but it was a great experience. Um, and also, you know, being prepared 
knowing the tasks that you're doing and how long they'll run for. I think a big thing for uh, newly grad graduated teachers is that whole concept of what happens if you hand out a worksheet uh, hopefully you don't but if you hand out a task or a work and, and one child finishes in two minutes and another child hasn't even started how do you manage that situation because that's a very common uh, thing isn't it when you and particularly if you're running off somebody else's plan that you just might or the work might be too hard for the students or too easy or not quite right how do you um, mitigate against that billy this one gets back to my, you know, pet loves when we get, if anyone's ever been to an ELP, I love talking about this topic. Uh, and one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a CRT is to go in, read what they say and say to the kids, right, go on with what Terry said, right? That's, a, that, that's, that's bound to fail, right? That, that, that's almost, as you say, saying to the kids, I don't really want to be here. I'm just sitting here. I'm going to babysit you, not interested. The next biggest one you can make a mistake of is to look at a piece of work and not pick up. Well, that's going to be a disaster because that, that kid's going to finish that in five minutes. So they're all bad strategies and you've asked for the problem. You've created the problem yourself. What you've got to do is look at the piece of work or whatever they are there and you've actually got to teach. You've got to understand that the most basic thing that you've got in your um, quiver, if you like, is the capacity to teach. So if I was teaching, if someone um, dragged me out of here and put me into a year nine science class, God forbid, but I would go in there and the first question I would ask if it was on, I don't know, genetics, I would be asking the kids, tell me what you've been doing. Let me find out a little bit about what that is. Your teacher set some work, but I don't quite understand this. I need to know what we're going to do. And then I would do the first, I'm smart enough to work out surely year nine science. I'll do the first question or the first task with them. And you should do that whether you're in prep or whether you're in year 12. It doesn't matter. You've got to show that interest and you've actually got to teach. And it, during that period, you will pick up that, oh, if I set this task, this, and it's like if someone said to the kids, I wanted them to do a recount. If the first thing you've got to check in is do they know how to do a recount? If you go and tell them to do a recount and they can't do it, then you've got, you've created the, the turmoil. So you've got to have those skills, be prepared to teach. I think it's crucial, Terry, isn't it? And that's how oh, you look. Yeah. Um, absolutely, Billy. Yeah, you've nailed it, I think. Yeah, for sure. And we're just as we drawing to a close uh, of this webinar, thank you so much for everybody sharing their experiences. It's really invaluable, just those uh, tips and tricks people have been given. If you do have any questions just in the final few minutes, uh, please do put them in the Q&A box as well. One of the tricks I used to do uh, when I went into a class, if there was no, I, and I think this is again down to the credibility thing, if you walk in and you're fidgeting around and trying to look for the planning and saying, oh, what are we doing today? Don't do that. Go into the class, have a task in your mind that it's going to take three or four minutes. And then you can look at that planning in a comfortable, relaxed, calm manner. One of the things I used to do is walk in, write a number on the board and just say, tell me about this number. And if it was the number 14, you get somebody say, well, it's 14 correct is it it's made up of 10 and 4 great anything more adventurous and then one child might say well that's the number of days in a fortnight and you say wow your name goes up on the board you're fantastic you go to the vip lounge and then you just get that creativity build that relationship and it's as simple as writing a number on the board um was there anything that you particularly uh, did terry or billy um as a go-to task I became more aware over time, I, I guess, uh, that that it was a performance to to an extent, um, the, the teaching, and that um, when you're when I was in a situation where um, I didn't really know what was going on, I knew one thing that I had to look as though I knew exactly what was going on, that I had to look as though I was in control, and that in the end, I think with a bit of experience when you open your mouth, the skills do kick in. And I think you've just got to, um, you know, you've got to sort of believe in yourself to a degree because you will be in that situation sometimes where you're thinking, God, what am I going to do next? But yeah, I think if you can look reasonably confident and assured um, and, you know, realise that to a degree, you know, you are part of a, a performance, then I think when you do open your mouth, you know, surprising as that may seem, the skills do uh, kick in. I think what you said at the beginning and what Billy has also reinforced is um, 
those first things that you say or do are absolutely critical and they can determine the success of not only the whole lesson, but I guess in a primary school most of the day. Yeah, I'd agree entirely without, you know, and I love the idea around 14, people need to develop something like that. But I guess conceptualising it uh, for me, it's uh, about, now I know there's a lot of talk around student voice and all of that is fantastic if you're working long-term in the classroom or even setting up collaborative learning, that's great. But my thing is if you're going in as a CRT and even as a young teacher, until you've got the confidence with the kids and know the kids, you have to understand you're holding the baton and you're not giving it up. And if you allow the kids to take the baton right from the start of the day, in other words, they roll into the room and move the chairs around, sit what they like and face whatever. And if, as soon as you give it up, it's a bit like my dog when I throw him the ball, he won't give it back to me. I've got to chase him. And if you give up the baton at 9.05, I'll tell you what, you'll be lucky to get it back by 3.30. So yeah. you've got to yeah. set the tone right from the very start. And it's only later in the day or later in the week, or if you're a uh, graduate in it, it might be during the term, you start to think, all right, I'm going to free things up here. I'm going to pass this over to the kids. But until you are confident about that, don't give them the baton. Now, I know that's putting it in a conceptual sort of term, a symbolic term, but that's effectively what I think Ian and Terry are talking about as well. You have to look like you're in control and the moment you slip up on that, it's really tricky to get it back. Yeah, look, I think, Belly, great points. And I think we've got the life experience. We've got the lived experience. Um, you know, we're dealing with young people that are a lot younger than us. So, you know, we're the teachers uh, we need to teach. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, just to remember that you you are there for a reason. They're not just letting anybody off the street come in and teach grade nine or grade two you're there for a reason because you're a highly trained, expensively educated professional. You need to walk that walk, believe in yourself. Um, don't let the children are very good at taking authority as well. So uh, and trying to be um, in authority. So but you have to, you know, remind them that you're the teacher. You, you build relationships, but not friendships. You, you're there as a teacher as a professional. Uh, I think that's really important as well. Particularly, I, I think as a new grad and a, as a relief teacher, teachers, um, students used to ask a lot of questions about my personal life. Uh, you know, how old I was, where I lived, was I married or not? All of those different questions that curious minds might ask, you have to say, it's not important. <laughs> you don't need to know. Um, be happy. Talk about them. Talk about everything else. But you, you know, you have to draw those boundaries, as we said at the beginning, to make sure that you're going to have a successful time of it. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about graduates. Um, I'll go back and unpick my past more often. I think. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, um, I think it's a um, you know terrific session, and I think people should be a approaching the opportunity to teach. Uh, very, very positively because, uh, you know, um, the three of us, I think, would agree it's a, a pretty unique sort of uh, vocation, you know, an, an area to, to uh, work in. I certainly, you know, don't regret a day um, that I spent in schools, although I might not have thought that way, Billy, at the time. But, but overall, it's a privilege to work with, with young people and an unbelievable opportunity to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good note to end on and we're all very excited for you and uh, we'll definitely offer as much support as we can. So thank you, gents. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.